Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hi there, it's Mike. Thanks for joining me once again. If you're listening to this before Christmas, if it has gone live before Christmas, I want to wish you and those you love a very Merry Christmas. If you're listening to this in the new year in 2021, uh, Happy New Year. Here is to a step change in global consciousness. And that sounds uh, a bit far-fetched, but listen, I, for one, do not want to see the division that has occurred in this world. We live on one planet. We're all in this together. Uh, let's make uh, the world a great place to be for ourselves and our future generations. Um, come on, guys. Unite together. Uh, let's make it more inclusive, more accepting, more loving. Uh, here is to 2021 uh, full of good, good things. Today's Adaptify is Andrew Slorence. Andrew is the CEO of Phoenix Instinct. He's the founder of a company a bit like us that develops products to serve the adaptive community, the mobility community, the disabled community. He is one of the finalists in the Toyota Mobility Foundation Challenge to revolutionize mobility. Uh, super excited to chat with Andrew. He's been incredibly successful with his first product, uh, the Phoenix Instinct uh, travel bag system that hooks onto the back of wheelchairs, uh, enabling people to independently travel. His Next product in the pipeline is a smart wheelchair, and I can't wait to talk to Andrew about where he's at with that, why you need a smart wheelchair, and uh, and his journey to date. He's uh, been a wheelchair user for well over 30 years and has a huge amount of experience. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk some more about uh, what, you've, uh, what you've been working on for the last uh, couple of years, but before we do... Um, you know, you're a, you're a long-time wheelchair user. I'd like to go right back to your childhood and just describe to me what your what your upbringing was like and and uh, what your what what your life was like before your accident. Uh, I was born on a tea plantation in South India in Kerala. Uh, my father was a planter, and we moved to Scotland in 1974, I think thereabouts. I was about five. I uh, grew up in the, the northeast of, east of Scotland, which is a bit of a culture shock from South India to the north of Scotland and the temperature. <laughs> um, um, when I got to 14, uh, I was on my, my summer holidays. I was a pretty normal teenager. I liked my bike. I'd learned very recently to ride my bike no hands. I was, I was good at this. I wasn't good at a lot of things as a kid, but I was good at that. Um, then on my summer holidays, we went to Aberdeenshire to stay with our cousins. And I saw the biggest tree in the woods. And I said to my cousin, let's get up the top of that tree. And the rest of it, you can probably figure out. That's kind of where it went wrong. About 50 feet up this tree, the branch I was on started creaking. And I knew, I knew I'm, I'm a goner. This is not going to be good. This is not something you get a bruise from. And then I remember falling down through the branches. I remember them smacking my face as I fell through the branches. And then sort of lying on the ground and looking up. By this time, I'd blacked out and I'd come round again. And looking at the tree, you're thinking, wow, you messed up. You messed yeah. up really bad. 
I remember thinking my dad was going to be very cross because we'd gone away for the weekend and Andrew had messed stuff up again. Um, after that, it all goes a bit blurry and it left me with a complete T4-5 injury. So for those listening, uh, what does a T4-5 injury sort of mean? So that's kind of chest level, chest level paralysis from chest down. Had you any notion of what that meant? Had you come across any wheelchair users in your 14 years of life? I had absolutely no idea what any of it meant. And now so much time has gone by, I have very little recollection of what I actually felt about it all at the time. Mm. I remember figuring out what it meant because I remember lying in the hospital in Aberdeen and the nurses coming into the room I was in and I would say to them, I, I can't move. And they'd say, you'd have to ask the doctor and they would leave the room. Another one would come in and I'd say, I can't feel my feet. And say, we can't help you with that, Andrew. You'll have to ask the doctor. And they'd leave the room. And uh, the, the, their, their policy was they wouldn't tell anyone for 48 hours until after the injury, because you know, they might still get some recovery in that time. This is 1983. You know, things were very different then. You know, mm. I was I was transported the 30 miles to hospital in an ambulance that drove so, so slowly it took it three hours to do it. And so I'm going over every bump, you know, <laughs> it was a different idea of what was a good plan. Um, and then I remember my mom coming in to see me and she looked really upset. And I just said to her, it's okay, I know. I'm not going to walk again, am I? And she was just like, no, I don't, I don't think you are. And that was about as much conversation of that I remember about us actually realising the enormity. But I think it dawned over the the coming weeks and months. I spent two months on a striker frame, which for people that don't know, was like a, a very narrow, hard bed, about as wide as an ironing board. And you'd lie on this thing completely flat down, face to the floor. There was a gap for your face. And so you're just looking at the floor. And every two hours, they would take another piece of this board, like an ironing board, and screw it on top. And then they'd flip it around like that. Every two hours, he didn't get sores. And I'd scream when the nurses were doing this. And one day I was lying flat down, staring at the floor. And an occupational therapist walked in and she sat down. I can see her now, crouched in front of me. And she said, Andrew, I've come to order your new wheelchair for you. Would you like pneumatic tyres? <laughs> I said, I, I don't know what you mean. So, well, do you want air-filled tyres or solid tyres? And I was like, air? I said, do you want desk arms or full arms? I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. She said, well, desk arms, you can get under a desk, but full arms, you've got more rest for your arms. I said, well, I'm going back to school. Okay, desk arms. And she wrote down desk arms in her form. And about a week later, she came back and she said, Andrew, I've got your new wheelchair for you. I think you'll agree it's rather a nice example. And she parked it in front of me. It was this big chrome thing like you see in an A&E department. And I looked at it and I thought, you're kidding, right? I've got my Rally Arena race bike at home. I just learned to cycle, no hands. You're giving me this? And it was another four weeks before I was allowed to get up and be in that chair and I was transferred to a spinal unit. But the day I went out in that wheelchair was the worst day of my life. By miles. That was the day that I realised what this meant. Because it was more than not being able to move your legs. This was people's perception of me was transformed. I was now disabled. Um, and I remember going down, the, the place, the spinal unit was a place called Musselburgh, near Edinburgh. 
And I remember going down Musselburgh High Street with my mum and saying to her, everyone's staring at me. And they were. She said, no, 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 they're not. But they, they were. I was this kid in this gigantic chair. I was a story for them to look at. Which just kind of drove me to want to change that and change perceptions of wheelchairs and the abilities that wheelchairs can give. And that's probably where my story started of developing chairs. It wow. wasn't. It was probably... By the time I was about 16, I then had one of the first lightweight wheelchairs. It was called a Sweet 24F. F meant folding backrest. This was, this was latest tech. This chair had quick-release wheels. It had scissor brakes. It had clothes guards and sport guards. It had a rigid frame, and it was lightweight and compact. And this was a big deal. This was about 1986 by here, by this time. And... And I, I got one of these chairs, and quite soon after that, I heard of this stuff called carbon fibre. And I thought, wow, I should make chairs out of carbon fibre. That'd be so great. No one else does it. I'm going to do that. But I was sure that chairs were going to evolve. But I can tell you all those features that were on the Suite 24F, and they sound so familiar because nothing's changed. They're mm. still on the chair you'll buy today. The same stuff. And... I, I've struggled with that for quite a long time of why wheelchairs haven't evolved. I mean, we live in a time now where your fridge can be smart. It can tell you to buy more milk. Yet the fundamental piece of kit that we really need to be smart and enhance our life, our wheelchair, is still that same tech that the Sweet 24 had. Um, so when I heard about this uh, Tota competition, so I've jumped forward a long way since then. I've I've developed other things. I've developed a wheelchair from Carbon Fiber called Carbon Black. I left that company due to my slightly poor choice of investors, shall we say. I left that company. I started Phoenix. I developed the wheelchair luggage system. And then when I saw Tota doing this, this competition, I thought, this is what I do. This, this competition is exactly down my street. In fact, it was Sophie Yules who shared it that uh, was the first time I saw it. And I know you've done a, you've done a podcast with her. Um, the one remit in the competition was you had to include intelligent systems into your device. So the remit of the competition was develop a device that revolutionize mobility for people with lower limb paralysis that includes intelligent systems. I thought, how do you make a lightweight wheelchair include intelligent systems? And I went out with the dog on a walk down to the beach. By the time I got halfway to the beach, I knew what I wanted to do. I thought, well, the one thing on your chair you have to get right is the center of gravity. That's the one setting we all need to work. But it doesn't. It gives you either agile or either stable or somewhere in the middle. I thought, I wonder if you can make that smart. And that's really what the thing is. It's a smart chair with smart center of gravity. Well, I mean, like you said, we, we've skipped a, we've skipped right through. I, I can't wait to sort of dive in a bit deeper into how you mm. how you got. Uh, well, you know, I guess you, you obviously went through school. You had this idea about, um, and early on, it's quite remarkable that you had this vision for creating better wheelchairs. What? Um, and, and you said, you know, the first the first day you're in a wheelchair was you know the worst day of your life. I can certainly relate to that the first time out in public in a wheelchair is this is an incredibly intense experience particularly if you weren't born with your disability um and it wasn't normal it was uh 
it was a big change to your uh, previous, um, you know, existence. Um, so, you know, how did you psychologically come to terms with your fate? Was there any particular person or any particular moments um, or any advice sure, that you I mean, may have to, to, to cope with that situation? I remember lying in the spinal unit in Musselburgh and there was a guy in the bed next to me and he'd been a paratrooper and he broke his back on a jump and he cried every night. Mm. And I'd never heard a man cry. My dad had been a paratrooper. He never heard him cry. And one day I, I went up to his bed. I was talking to him. He said, it's okay for you, son. You know, you're young. You can cope. I've got a wife and kids at home. Mm. And I remember thinking, well, I'm 14. You've had 30 years of your active life. You've been a paratrooper. And my mom was a real fighter. She was very much a soldier on you can do this you can you can do so she was probably my strength to get through it and when i realized i didn't actually cry at night maybe i thought you got you can do this um but i remember having a total strop one morning in rehab and the nurses came put the lights on said andrew go down to the gym and i said i'm not going today so oh, you're not going I said no said, so you're not going to the gym. Well, I tell those physios you're not going. He said, yeah, I tell them I'm not going. And a few minutes later, the head physio came up to my bed. His name was Norman, and he stood next to my bed. He said, so, you're not going to gym today? He said, look, Andrew, you might be the youngest person in this unit, but don't expect any special treatment. Everyone here is in the same boat. You want to lie on your bed and rot, go for it. Otherwise, I'll be in the gym. And he walked away. I was up five minutes later. <laughs> It was a very hardcore rehab regime then. It wasn't in any way wrapped in cotton wool that you would meet the old veterans who would say that what we experienced then was so lightweight to what it was back in the war. And I'm sure now if I went into a rehab unit, I would think they don't have striker frames. They've got electric beds that tilt them from side to side to side and they sleep all night and things have advanced. But it's still, it's still hardcore. But I think then that very tough, ruthless regime probably got me through it. Yeah, I suppose you 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 had no real choice. You were. Uh, I've I had no this. choice. I, I went back to the same school that I'd I'd been in. This is you know 1984. Wheelchair accessibility just didn't exist. You know the 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 class made a ramp for me to get into the school out of plywood because yeah, there wasn't any access. I was lifted in my wheelchair from the ground floor up the stairs by five classmates. It wouldn't be allowed now. I mean, it was ludicrous. Mm. But at the same time, I was barred from studying subjects where I may harm myself. I was told I couldn't study science anymore because I might hurt myself. I was told I wouldn't be allowed to go into the woodwork or metalwork department because I may harm myself. And I was even told I wouldn't be allowed to do cooking because I might burn myself. And this was all okay. And wow. I left school when I was 16. So there was no point being there. There was nothing to study. So wow. at 16, I, I left home and I actually left. I went to stay in a, in a halls of residence at a college down near Glasgow in Motherwell where I studied photography. And that was you know, man up, you know, two years after my injury, I had left home. 
and you just have to to deal. Wow. Yeah, I call my company Phoenix Instinct because that's what you need to survive as a wheelchair user. You need that ability just to get up every day and just do it. And it becomes just how it is. It becomes instinctive. You must have developed fairly thick skin. And I imagine there, there'd be moments that, um, you know, that brought you, that brought you down. Um, what, what was the perception, you know, of you and your chair when you were at college studying photography? What were the, did you find it supportive or was it, um, was it not nearly as supportive as, as it possibly is today? I think things have changed a lot since then. Uh, I think it's very hard to actually have a, 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 an absolute perception of what it was like because when I look back at myself then, I think I was probably quite an angry teenager and I probably didn't really care much what people thought. Um, I was just going to, this was, this was me. I was pretty insensitive to what people thought about me because I'd been through spinal rehab. And as you mature, you start to realise what people think of you does actually matter to you. Um, so at, at kind of 16, 17, 18, I don't think I was really very bothered. Um, I'm just going to quit this mail package because you're hearing everything clicking in. Um, and I think that uh, as, as I've got older, I've realised perceptions do actually matter quite a lot. And especially as a young guy trying to get a job, you know, trying to get a, get a, a girlfriend. It's, it matters a lot what perceptions are. I've gone in for job interviews where I haven't told them I've got a wheelchair. You see the shock on their face. <laughs> and I've gone for jobs where I have told them and you don't hear anything back. I've, had, I've been interviewed by someone once sitting on the pavement on, in Edinburgh because I couldn't get into their office because there were steps at the front. Yet the guy felt obliged to interview me. Anyway, we both knew it was entirely pointless. Mm. Um, but things have improved. It's a better Britain's a better place to live now than it was in the eighties for a wheelchair user. By by quite a long way. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's as it, it's not as advanced as perhaps you'd get in California, where you you go there and you know accessibility exists. Mm. I pretty much know if I go to a pub in Edinburgh the probability is the toilets will be downstairs. And if there is an accessible toilet, it will have you know, brooms and cleaning mops and stuff in, in it and be used for storage. Um, <laughs> yeah. that, that's pretty normal here. Um, but things, things have got better. But I still think that uh, the, there's, there's quite a long way to go. And technology has helped. I think uh, I was a bit of a sceptic that the Olympics would, or Paralympics would make much of a difference to perceptions but I think some of the technology, especially in the prosthetic limbs, has made a big difference to perception, especially towards amputees. Mm. And that technology that they've got is just extraordinary. It's, we think what prosthetic limbs were like 10 years ago, skin-coloured plastic limitation things that probably weren't actually very effective as limbs, are now so effective that the person's disability is almost invisible. And if I can take that transformation they've made from plastic awkward limb to high tech carbon fiber sensor embedded software driven limb and put some of that into a chair, then maybe we can do a similar thing for wheelchairs. I absolutely love it. Tell me, how did your photography 
um, course go and how did that send you into you know developing developing the first wheelchair well my i what I, I went to to motherwell college to study photography um and i i really liked it i had this thing i was going to be a press photographer this is what i thought this is what this is the kind of idea i had when i left spinal rehab anything could be done um as it turned out i ended up working in telly I ended up getting a job in TV as a video editor. I worked for a big news organization called ITN. Um, we did, I worked for Channel 4 News. So I, I edited main, main stories. Um, I, in fact, I did some reporting. I met Christopher Reeve once and interviewed him for Channel 4 News, which was pretty awesome. And I had, I had a good career in telly, which probably started because I did photography, got my interest in, in visual stuff. Um, but at the back of my mind, I still had this itch that I wanted to develop a wheelchair. Um, and so I pitched this idea to a commissioner at Channel 4 to make a documentary. And I was the point I was a staff editor at ITN. One day she phoned up and she commissioned this idea to consider it done. Hmm. That meant I had to leave my job. I had a permanent job. I had a good job. Um, uh, but I decided I should go for it. So I left my job. I did this documentary. And then I found myself in a position where what are you going to do now? I need to get another documentary. And getting the second one was quite a lot harder. Uh, at that point, I met Mary, now my, my wife. Um, we talked about it a lot. And I said, uh, I don't know what to do. Because getting another job is actually really difficult. And she said, why don't you design that wheelchair you've always talked about? And hmm. um, that's not the kind of encouragement I'd had before. Most people think kind of leaving your career to develop mad-brained ideas of fancy wheelchairs is ludicrous. But, you know, she said, do it. Mm. And so I did. And so I set about developing my first wheelchair made from carbon fiber. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what, what I was getting myself into. And I contacted carbon fiber companies. I contacted 3D CAD designers. And I kind of pulled it together. And after a few years, I created the carbon black chair. So <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, you make it sound so simple, and I know firsthand that developing something new is not not simple. It's not easy. It's not um, a cheap uh, exercise. Um, how did you? Uh, so you you mentioned earlier um, uh, about investors, and um, how did you how did you go about pitching the idea and, and finding the money for for that first year? Yeah, so Scotland is a really good place to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of seed funding around. There's a lot of government support. Uh, so when I had my idea, I knew that I had to get it kind of off the ground, at least get CAD drawings done of what I wanted to do, and be able to put forward some kind of reasonable proposal. So I sank my own money into uh, a CAD engineer to do some designs and some drawings. Um, yet I was literally... Uh, paying this, it was, a, it was a big, it was a big motorsport company called ProDrive Motorsports who do all the Aston Martin stuff. I, I contracted them to do it, and I would sit with their CAD guy some ridiculous amount of money an hour. And at the end of each week, they would give me an invoice for about seven thousand quid, and I would just like, oh, I need, so I need a grant. I need to get enough of this done so I get a grant. And I, it was, it was terrifying. Uh, complete madness when I think about it now, but that allowed me to get one of these grants off the Scottish government. 
And that grant was worth about £70,000. And that was enough money to make a prototype. Mm. And it got me out of completely sinking financially. And once I got that prototype made, I make it sound easy, but that actually was very painful to get to that stage. That was a further 18 months of work. But finally, I had this design. Um, and so I went to, to some, some investors with it. And I ended up with a syndicate of investors, local, local syndicate. And you know, they put money into it. We productionized it. We found a, a new manufacturer that was a bit cheaper than the Aston Martin guys. <laughs> um, not by a lot, though. And we went to market with it. But it changed. It changed a lot for me once they came on board. Although you, as a founder, you first think, oh, well, oh you know, my back was against the wall. Now I'm getting paid each month. They put money in and you can breathe. The reality is they now own you and they own your business. And what was your passion, certainly from my experience, to develop a great product becomes how much money can you make and how quickly can you make it? And that changes everything. That changes your, your focus and your vision of what you're trying to do. And I got to the point after a couple of years of this, of me really not liking this at all, um, and in the end, we, we parted ways. Um, it was a pretty sour breakup. Um, it came off the back of another uh, business competition in the UK, <coughs> worth £100,000 to the company. And this was going to commercialise, internationalise the carbon black. And that was, I, I actually won that competition on the Friday evening at nine o'clock for got 100 grand for the company. At 10 o'clock in the Monday morning, I was fired. And they just said, you know, I, I was no longer required. I wasn't what they wanted. And that was, that was a bit of a shocker. But within, you know, we took about three months, messy legal battle that gave me the freedom to operate again. I started Phoenix Instinct. And I was back on the treadmill to develop a new product. And I knew from the traveling I'd done as a wheelchair user that it was a nightmare carrying your stuff. Mm. It put a lot of people off traveling. <clears throat> they knew that they couldn't on their own get from the car rental place to the terminal with their luggage without someone helping. And who's going to help you at three o'clock in the morning at Luton Airport? <laughs> no one. You're on your own. Um, and I, I, I knew I could solve this. And that, uh, so I came up with a prototype and I went through the same process, but this time, I didn't go to investors. I did go to the to the grant body. I managed to get some grants. Um, I went back to the to the organization, the competition that I'd won money for the previous business with. I re-entered that. I managed to win some money there, not hundred thousand. I managed to win some money, and by hook or by crook, I got the Phoenix bags to market, and they've taken off and they've done quite well. And we've got distributors all around the world now, and. It, it started what's, what was such an awful experience of being booted out of your own business was, in fact, the best thing that could happen because Phoenix Instinct wouldn't have happened otherwise. Mm. All meant to be, I guess. What, whatever happened to the carbon black chair? Did it, did it go on to be produced? Well, the, still... the carbon black chair is still going. <laughs> the, I, I don't know much about the the ins and outs of what they do. I know they moved manufacturing to China to make it cheaper. Um, 
And I know that they've taken many more rounds of investment beyond what, what they ever put in when I was there. So their idea that, you know, perhaps the wrong guy was driving this and if they got someone else, they would they would sell a lot more stuff. It didn't work like that. It takes a long time to build a brand. It takes mm. a long time for people to to absorb your product and decide whether or not it's something they want. And if your product's quite expensive, it takes even longer. Mm. Um, and that's one of the reasons why with the new chair that I'm developing now, it'll be price competitive with other chairs on the market. It's not going to be some some high-priced, unreachable white elephant. And it won't be made by Formula One people. It'll be made in-house by the team at Phoenix Instinct. And that's mm. the only way we can control the costs of it. Um, but as far as I know, the carbon black is still going. It's doing okay. I, I don't. I actually don't get any contact from my. I don't. I don't follow them. I don't. It's very odd that a, a, a paragraph in your life like that can be so much of your life, and then you just have to leave it behind. And I have left it behind. I, I literally don't follow them on any on any social media. I don't read any reviews. I don't read anything about it. I've moved on. Yeah, nice. That sounds like a good. A good way to um, keep moving forward without um, letting the the past hold you back. Well, um, one of the main business lessons I've learned is be very careful who you let into your business. You know, um, I don't think I regret getting involved with those investors. Uh, you you learn from it. The journey I did with the carbon black is what has paved the way for me to get to where I, I'm getting to with this with this new chair. It's only because I've done that journey and I've learned the lessons. I know what to do and what not to do. Yeah, absolutely. There's not, there's not more, more ahead like there was in the past. I don't think I've got it, to, got it in me to do it a third time round. But uh, at the moment, <laughs> there's no investors. I don't want any investors. Oh, it's fantastic. It sounds like you're on a roll, uh, you know, with the Toyota Mobility uh, Competition uh, again, some money was put forward to um, you. You were one of five uh, finalists. Yeah. Yes. One of five finalists, and you were each uh, given some seed capital, I guess, to bring your idea to a, a proof of concept. Is that what you would? You'd call you were it? given quite a lot of seed capital. You were given half a million dollars. You know, each team was given half a million dollars to take their idea from either concept like we were at or half developed thing like some of the other teams were at and, and turn it into a product and given 18 months to do it in. You know, the carbon black took me four years to develop and that was just a chair made of carbon fiber. Mm. It wasn't, didn't have any smart sensors or anything in it. Um, but the so difference was that this is, this is being done by us so we could control the development. We can, largely control how fast it moved and we needed stuff to get done you just got it done mm. um we were reliant on outside contractors to do the electronics and that was quite painful but the whole the carbon fiber process we do ourselves and you know 3d printing has come into the game now which wasn't around when i did the carbon black we can print a whole chair in about four days and mm. um, decide we like it or hate it move forward with it or scrap it and start again which just you just couldn't have done you know, when I was doing the carbon black. You just had to come up with a design, look at it on the computer screen, and decide to go for it. You have to make mold tools to to make the thing and see if if it actually worked. And that was going to cost tens of thousands of pounds every time you did it. 
So you could probably even do it once. Now with 3D printing, a print will cost us 150 quid in a few days, and it's job done. So technology's helped us a lot. Yeah, it's incredible. The the day that you were announced as a finalist, what uh, what what were you thinking? Were you were you presumably you were super excited? But um, you had eighteen months. It's not long to develop such a cutting edge um, product. What um, what what processes I, I did staggered. you go through? You were well, I, 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 I was staggered that we'd actually got to finalists because I think I thought, you know, at that point. Phoenix Instinct pretty much consisted of me and my wife, Mary. And that, that was it. And so sometimes my stepdaughter, Sophie, would help out. But that, we, we were very small and pretty insignificant in this sector. And so when we were picked, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, I'm actually, they actually believe that my experience of what I've done is, is worthwhile. And it was only at that time I started to realize the amount that I've actually learned as a wheelchair user and the amount I've learned about business and the amount I've learned about product development and the amount I've learned about distributing products and it all adds up to Phoenix Instinct having quite a good asset in me. Um, so I think it's helped me to realise I do actually know quite a lot of stuff. Um, as we've got to now this stage of the competition, I'm thinking we might actually do this. We might actually win this thing because I think what we've got is a really viable and viables are very, it's quite a clinical word, but it's, it, it, it means a lot in, in business sense that people will be able to afford this. We have the distribution network through our bags to, to be able to uh, put it out there in different countries. People know about our brand because they've got our bags. We've got a great following on social media. I mean, people are posting almost daily, even though there's a pandemic, with pictures of themselves with their bags traveling around the world. And that feels great. That feels great that you've made a difference. Mm. And what a difference we can make to wheelchairs generally if we can make all these other big wheelchair companies make a step change towards smart chairs because we've, we've paved the way. Yeah. Have you encountered any resistance from you know, other, other companies, other, some of the big, the big players out there or, um, you know, some yeah, of the, some, some, some resistance to, to what you do? It, it, it's funny the relationship you get with the other companies, depending on what you're doing. When I was doing the Carbon Black, it was pretty obvious the big brands didn't like us very much. We were, we were a bit of a thorn in their side. And then when I started doing the wheelchair bags and stopped doing the car in black, that they were they were really quite helpful, quite friendly. In fact, some of the companies offered me uh, parts of their wheelchairs so that I could make sure the bags were compatible. Um, and I feel now we're moving back into their space again. They may not be so friendly, uh, but in reality, we're we're just a little company in the north of Scotland. I don't think the the big players will be bothered by us, but I think they should be bothered by the big auto companies. Because those guys are stepping into mobility. And as I was speaking as a wheelchair user, I'm really excited that Toyota want to be part of this. They want to be part of mobility because they, they've, they know that cars are changing and there's not a future in the next 25 years for making cars and engines in the way they've done. Mm. And that's why they're doing this. 
So to think that those big firms could decide they're going to develop wheelchairs, smart wheelchairs like we're doing, but with their culture of research and development, I mean, they say, what are we going to see? Mm. Whereas I think some of the big companies are, have what I call Kodak syndrome. Kodak didn't believe digital mm. photography was something they should be bothered about or wrong they were. And I think there's a little bit of that going on. It's yeah, some of the big, big that's brands. interesting. I suppose, you know, R&D costs a lot of money. And um, if there's no one out there like yourselves pushing the envelope, uh, then why why would a company continue to develop their product if they can just make make coin exactly. off what they've already got? <clears throat> but it's also a culture thing. Can you imagine Toyota's R and D team meeting at the end of the month, where one guy pipes up and says, "Why don't we just roll out those cars from the eighties again? We've still got them in the warehouse. They could paint some new seat covers. Job done. They'd be fired." <laughs> The mm. consumer wouldn't wear it. Mm. You know, Apple wouldn't decide they're going to, you know, once again launch, you know, the iPhone three, and mm. say, oh well, you know, we've we've already got them. Is it just flog them? And it's almost like because consumer consumer products are driven by competition, and it's a bit like in the wheelchair sector, there isn't competition. It's almost like the big players have all accepted they've got their bit of the pie. And as long as they all do the same thing, no one needs to change. No mm. one upsets the apple cart. Everyone gets a bit of the pie. Mm. Um, it's got to change. It has to change in the end. Yeah, and I suppose for the choice of the consumer too, I know in uh, New Zealand there's two or three brands that pretty much have the monopoly and they tender for um, – to, to be scripted and anything outside of that box, you have to have very special reasons for it, you know, like a carbon fiber chair, for example. Um, and it, it, it's, uh, it's quite frustrating. Actually for, for an end user, you, you don't have to know what's out there and what's available because the system's set up to just pretty much. Point and I think there is quite things. a lot of that to be fair to those big brands. I think there is a bit of that going on that there's kind of a ceiling on what the reimbursement bodies are going to pay. And there's no point in them creating some awesome chair that's going to cost 20,000 quid because mm. they're not going to pay it, mm. so they're not going to bother. So they think their cap is however many thousand dollars they can charge for that chair, and that just doesn't justify spending half a million developing a new one. Mm. But at the same time, if we look at the prosthetic limbs that 10 years ago probably were cheaper than wheelchairs they now cost the earth but the life-changing enhancements that they give to their end user has made it worthwhile to the insurer to pay the money because mm. it's it's le less injuries for that person less time in hospital less medical medical bills in the end and that's how the insurers have kind of worn the bigger cost of these better limbs now, I don't think that smart wheelchairs need to cost much more than non-smart wheelchairs. It's just software, really. Um, and I hope that we don't, that I haven't launched something here that in five years' time will mean that wheelchairs cost £20,000. You know, hopefully not, because I think it can be done for the same money. But if I was to bring a £20,000 smart wheelchair to market, it, it wouldn't make it.
Mm. Very interesting you say. In five or ten years' time, when the insurers have changed their minds, but right now, not a chance. So we need to make the step change and do it for the same money that they're making the standard chairs for. Yeah, and I suppose you alluded to the, the potential benefits of using a smart wheelchair in terms of shoulder health and, and um, you know, potential um, mitigation of uh, injuries, falling out of a chair, for example. Um, so I so think what other compelling sorry. cases do you, you know, what other compelling reasons do you have for a smart wheelchair? Why, why a smart wheelchair? Well, I, I, the more I think about it, the more reasons I see for it. Immediately with the chair that we've done with the Intelligent Centre Gravity, it's easier to use. I mean, speaking to wheelchair users, if you set your wheelchair to a plus four CG, you will know, oh, wow, this is amazingly easy to spin around and use, but don't bother leaning back because you're going to fall out. And at the same time, if you move your CG to a zero, well, it's great. You can lean back and put your head up to the stars, but uh, if you're trying to push it, it's going to be hard going. So the intelligent center of gravity will all the time maintain that plus four capability for your agility. But when you lean back, the center of gravity moves back with you so you don't fall back. So it's always finding the lightest agility. So throughout the whole day, pushing is easier. So mm -hmm. it's not that this gigantic hill suddenly got 10 times easier. It's that the whole day got easier. Um, so, so that's a compelling reason for intelligent center gravity. But I think smart systems are, can be add-ons. Chairs, smart chairs will read the path ahead and warn you of an obstacle, like a, a raised paving slab in the dark. Mm. They'll be able to guide, gently guide the caster wheels on the path of least resistance. And if they're doing that while navigating for obstacles in the path, maybe wheelchair users can actually look up rather than staring at the ground all the time. Mm. Um, chair collab GPS tracking so you know where it is when it's in the airplane is it on the plane at all is it still in the terminal um, I, I, it'll be connected to your to your smart home you know, we know that, uh, that that robots are used to as companions for people that are suffering loneliness that's being done as a thing now mm. are, are wheelchairs in 10 years time going to become companions you know, can we actually help mental health as well with a smart yeah. wheelchair? You know, I think once you get out of the box of thinking mechanical axles, bearings, nuts and bolts, and start thinking software, it's no longer just a chair. It becomes a life-enhancing device. For you and me using chairs, it's how we get around. It's more than that. Mm. But it's the thing we have to take everywhere. What else could it be? You know, what, what, what could it bring to this, this life and, you know, that, that's kind of where I'm going with it. I, I, I think it's visionary. Yeah, I think it's visionary. I, um, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I really think, wow, I mean, your chair, you take it everywhere. What can it do? I mean, can, can, can the chair encourage me that today I actually didn't even go out of the house? Can the chair say, Andy, today you did 500 pushes. You actually hmm. didn't burn any calories whatsoever. <laughs> Tomorrow we're going to do better. 
can it tell me when I'm out? Oh, that the, the fridge just told me the milk's expired. You know, we need to get some more while we're out. Mm. Can it actually engage with you on that level? When I'm using this smart chair now, I feel connected to it in a way I've not felt with a chair before. It moves with me. It doesn't roll under me. It's interactively adjusting mm. like my legs used to do when I was walking along. It's, it's a completely different experience. I was a little unsure what it'd be like when your center of gravity position is moving and you're pushing and your wheels are moving from one place to another. I thought, I'm going to put my hand down and the wheel's going to have moved. But it hasn't moved because your body, it moves with the body. So mm. the wheel is always in exactly the same position it was when you left it. So if I lean forward, the wheels come forward with me. So it's still there in exactly the same relative position. It's mm. more intuitive. It seems to someone who's used a chair for a long time, oh, wheels move all the time. But actually, you move all the time. And they should mm. move all the time. Wow. We are we're just on the you're pretty much on the eve of finding out if you're the result of the competition, the, the who wins the competition. How are you feeling about uh, about that? You mean are we gonna win? Are you gonna win? And look, if you if you don't win, what's the plan from there? I may have to plug in because I'm down to 10%, but a bit cut off. We'll try again. We'll try and wrap it in 10%. Um we're on the we're pretty much on the eve of the competition. And I I feel really optimistic. Everyone that I've shown the videos to, we put them on social media now. Wheelchair users are loving this and wheelchair users are a tough crowd. Mm. They, they they are. They they've been to hell and back and they're not gonna take any nonsense. And I haven't had anyone say this is nonsense. I've had some very respected wheelchair developers say to me, this is this is awesome. Mm. You you you're going to nail this. So I feel really optimistic that we that we've got a got a damn good shot. And if we don't, I'm going to be absolutely gutted, no doubt about it. But if we don't win it, then Plan B is we still have a very stylish, super lightweight chair. I mean, this chair is this chair is Panthera X light. You know, it's 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 very impressive. And um, if we we'll bring that to market, and that will pave the way for us to then develop the smart technology. My wife has just given me a plug, so I can keep charging and I can keep yapping <laughs> yapping on just in time. We're down to eight percent. Screw back up now. <laughs> nice. Um, so it. What well, what one thing I'm doing with this chair is I'm not trying to just sell when we get to that point a smart wheelchair. The idea is it'll be smart ready. Mm. So you'll get an ultralight chair that weighs something like four kg, but it'd be internally wired to take smart add-ons. So then you can buy the smart center gravity system and plug it on if that's what you want. We've actually mm. in the process of developing a, um, a smart uh, front wheel power assist system. And we've not released any video of that yet, but I think Toyota will be releasing that next week. And that works really well. So both front wheels are, individ are individually powered. This gives your chair four-wheel drive. So awesome. power front, manually powered rear wheels. And it does actually work like four-wheel drive. Using this on the grass, it's so much easier. Mm. Um, so th there's, there's quite a lot still to come with that. But it also gives you downhill braking, so controlled hill descent. Because the front wheels are electronic, 
got motors built into them, you can go down a steep hill and control your rate of descent. You can let go with your hands and free roll down the hill. All you have to do is steer. And why has no one done this? There's so much you can do as soon as you accept, as we use lightweight chairs, and it's all about how light it's got to be. As soon as you accept, look, batteries, they're really not that heavy. It's not, your batteries are not really much heavier than your lunch. Mm. And you wouldn't not take your lunch to work because it's too heavy. You know, so <laughs> plugging a battery in, it's no big whoops. When you accept that, I think what we can do is, is massive. So we, we have to win. I've, I've won that's that, that's a that's a responsibility and a half because if we do win this and to have to say okay there's a million dollars go and do it go and change lives you know careful what you wish for because you better damn well pull it off uh, my money's on you for sure I um, I totally love that I love everything you've described. Uh, you know the going downhill. I live on a, a pretty steep hill um, hillside, and and uh, if I don't wear gloves going down the hill, my hands burn. They they literally burn. And um, sometimes in the wet, it's uh, you know you can't get you can't get Impossible. traction. It's it's yeah. And, and this is what I said in my my pitch to Toyota at the beginning because I was selling the power assist front wheel thing to them, and I said, imagine. You know, going into your local bike shop to collect your new mountain bike, and the rep hands it over to you, and he says, "Right, this this bike is great because it doesn't have any brakes. You want to slow down, just grab hold of the tires." You know, <laughs> store. It's ridiculous, but that's what we have to do. Yeah. Very often, I just have to hold the tire because the rim is just too slippery. Um, that's got to change. There can't be a wheelchair user thinks that's okay. And if you say some smart technology can get rid of that problem, it's got to be done. Bring it on, I reckon. The other thing yeah. is uh, obviously when you're on cambered, cambered footpaths and one arm's working overtime to keep you straight on. I'm working on this one. Yeah. You know, that's a with, with the front wheel power assist, it can level that out. Mm. Because you've got two wheels that are being driven. It's not like having a smart drive or a smooth stuck on the back that'll want to skew one way or the other, you go in a straight line. Mm. And you can easily, I mean, through, through sensors, we haven't done that bit yet, but through sensors, the chair will know it's on a camber and provide a little bit of braking to your right side to so stay in a straight line. You wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know it's doing it. Smart chairs will read the ground and adjust themselves accordingly. You come to a hill, the smart chair will know it's on a hill and kick in some power assist. doesn't make a power chair. You don't need an add-on. There'll just be some power built into the front wheels. So you don't carry a massive battery pack. It's just there when you need it. When it goes down a hill, the gyro sensor will say, I'm on a hill. Brakes applied. And you're controlled descent down the hill. You're on a camber, it'll say, okay, two-degree camber this way. Correction on the left side to keep going in a straight line. It's, it just seems the opportunity to evolve this mechanical device is mammoth. So many, so many opportunities. And, and of course, we make it sound really simple, you know, but, uh, you know, you, you need in software engineers, you need uh, electronics engineers, you need, um, you know, industrial it's designers. It, yeah, it's no doubt. It's, I mean, the, the prize for this is a million dollars and it's a vast amount of money. But actually it, in product development, it's not. <laughs> it'll, go, it'll go real quick. 
Yeah, it'll go real quick. It, it'll, it'll go really quick, which is why developing the, the smart ready chair is the way I want to do it, because that will mean that you might not be convinced that you want a smart chair, you want a lightweight chair. Mm. Well, you can buy a Phoenix chair that's ultralight and it's future proof. Okay, that's a no brainer. And then you mm. can decide to buy an add on and then another add on and you can build up your smart chair. So our chair will become viable very early on in this journey. If I was trying to just get people to buy into smart center gravity, and if that works, then we'll add a power assist system as that works, and each one's another chair. Mm. I think that would be a tough road. So doing it this way, you can buy it without any add-ons. You could buy not have the center gravity system, just have the, uh, the smart sensors or just have the um, power assist, whatever you want modular modular wise i think is the way to do it and so that i think makes the affordability of developing more stuff easier and once we've got that platform in place my idea is that the chair will have ports all around it they'll be plugged up well actually no one even know they're there we won't even know what they're for they're just power points where at some point we might develop a camera for the front mm. or a sensor that's doing something we haven't thought of yet, but it will fit that port. And so that can be added in at another time. Maybe it'll be another four years. And we think, we've got a sensor at the front there, haven't we? Why don't we do whatever mm. the idea is? Mm. Um, that, way we, it's, that way, new developers who don't right now think about wheelchairs, they think about what makeup app they can create mm. for the girls, may think, Actually, I've got a great idea for a wheelchair. Why doesn't it do this? Mm. Why doesn't it, whatever the thing is, and they can develop it and download it into your chair and off you go. Oh, I love it. So I'm, yeah. Done. <laughs> hey, Andrew, uh, I am waiting with interest to see the result of this. This podcast will be live after the fact. So um, we um, hopefully... Hopefully you're well and well. And well we can always do this. We can always do another quick update with you, and you can tie the two together before you run it. Absolutely, yeah, and um, that's a good idea, actually. I'm, um, I'm super stoked. If you want to do any any editing on it, I can give you Dropbox video and stuff, and you can drop it in to cut out all the crap that I've talked about and make it all make sense. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Where can people follow you and and learn more about uh, what the what the road ahead looks like for you? Our Instagram is at underscore Phoenix Eye. That's where most people follow us. We're also on Facebook, and if they want to register their interest in the wheelchair, not not buy it just so they can be kept informed, it is um, www.phoenix-i-wheelchair.com quite complicated address but uh, it looks good on graphics phoenix-i-wheelchair.com uh, so the, the name of the wheelchair is the phoenix eye is that phoenix is that eye. phoenix yeah. eye because obviously it's intelligent and it's from phoenix instinct makes perfect sense well we'll link to all of those uh addresses in the in the show notes and on our website uh look fantastic thanks for taking the time our time zones are quite uh quite different uh late at night, early in the morning for me. But I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy and you've had lots of interviews and lots of We've been meaning to do this. We've been meaning to do this for ages. So it's good to it's good it's good to do it. And you, when do you think you're gonna run it? 
I think it'll probably run in about uh, in a week if my editor can turn around. Quickly. In a week, this is plenty of time to get some more stuff over to you. Yeah, um, nice. I'll, I'll fire off some links to you when I'm at work tomorrow. And okay. So, um, we can, if we win this, maybe we can do a catch up next week, and you can tie a bit on the end of it. It sounds great. Hey, well, All thanks right. so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, Likewise, pleasure. Good on you. We'll thanks again soon. Cheers. See you, mate. Bye. This is a, an update on the Toyota Mobility Foundation Mobility Unlimited Challenge. Andrew and his team have won. They've won $1 million to proceed with producing their wheelchair. And uh, so super exciting news. And here's a conversation I've just had with Andrew uh, about his reaction to this and what's next, what this means, what is the challenge, um, some reflection from him on the journey so far and some additional thoughts on entrepreneurship and what you could do if you've got an idea. So listen up, here's uh, Andrew with a a post-recorded reaction to their win in the uh, Toyota Mobility Foundation Mobility Unlimited Challenge, $1 million. Woohoo! Go Andrew and team. Awesome to hear. Um, Here we go. Crazy, crazy stuff. I I don't even know how to... What what to tell you? I suppose I can tell you tell tell you that you know we we you want to win something like that. I mean, in your bones, you what you want to win it, but you also think oh, this is this is just me with my little company in the north of Scotland against universities from Tokyo and. Uh, research institutions in Florida and San Francisco and Italia Design, who are an auto department, auto design department in Milan, you know, some massive part of Audi Volkswagen. You know, they designed the R8. You know, come on. Wow. Uh, and then you're watching the video and you're seeing all this, all, all these features that they've done and you think... That's good. That's really clever. And then you're thinking, but it's not a lot of use. Not, not, not for what we need. Mm. It's very clever, but it's not going to change the world for a wheelchair user. That's and then the it key. comes down to that. That, that, user, that's the thing. User centric, eh? And, and you understand it firsthand. Um, well, as they, they had several kind of uh, commentators on it, including a chap from the. Toyota Research Institute, and and he talked about, he said, you know, we were looking for simplicity. And I thought, yeah, we got that. He said, we're looking for synchronicity between human and machine. I thought, yeah, 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 we, we, we got that. We got that. Um, and then they were, they were running video of, of me talking about my injury, talking about the development. Um, I thought this is this is a convincing story for Phoenix. I mean, this sounds like they like us. And then when they said, "and the winner is the Phoenix Eye," you, you can't fake it. I mean, you can't go, "Oh, hurrah!" You know, we we won because you're so expecting it. It's a million dollars, you know, it's a million dollars. I was just overwhelmed, just completely overwhelmed, and. Even though I'd said to, to Mary, my wife beforehand, because she was also on the on camera, I said, "What do we do?" And you know, what do we do if we don't win it? So if we don't win it, you just gotta, you know, be gracious and 
you know, that's like losing the Oscar. Um, mm. If you do win it, I said, well, if you do win it, we, we have to be natural. And there's no way you could, you could have been anything other than natural. It just, it's just an emotion that just sweeps over you. And you're just like, seriously? Wow. And actually part of me felt pretty gutted for the other teams. Mm. Yeah. You know, you, you, you shouldn't. You should be like, hell, well, you know, we won, you didn't. But I didn't. I actually, I saw their faces and, you know, you're on a tiled view of Zoom and all their faces simultaneously just dropped to the floor mm. while ours got lifted up. And then I thought, there, we've lost everything before. Mm. You know, when I did Carbon Black, I was then booted out by the board and found myself unemployed. Yet, you know, up to my eyes in debt of what it cost to get the thing going. I've been there. Mm. You know, I've done that road. Have, have they done that road? I don't know. Probably not. And it's part of the journey. It's part of the journey of developing stuff and this entrepreneur trip is that you get floored and stewed on and you get back up again. And that's just what you have to do. And this time it was our, it was our turn not to be stewed on. This time it was our turn to, to rise up like the Phoenix. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Hard work starts now though, man. I was just going to say. Now we've got to deliver it. Now we've yeah. got to deliver this amazing promise. I mean, the support we've had on social media, hundreds of messages from wheelchair users all over the world saying this is amazing. I can't wait. Mm. And you go, yeah, this is great. They're, they're right behind us. Then mm. you think, this is it. You know, the, the, this is the chance for the wheelchair to evolve. Because if we don't make it work, no one else is going to do it. They'll say, oh, they tried to do that. They tried to make wheelchair smart. didn't work. Mm. This is really important. You know, this is this is fundamental to to a, a, any wheelchair user out there that wants to see their kit evolve, and it's down to this competition. It's amazing to, to have done it. It's more amazing to be the the, the company behind the, the ones to do it. You know, what 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 a chair is going to be like in five or ten years' time because we did this. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. What what expectation is is put on you from Toyota? What what are your obligations there? Well, we haven't had their contract yet. They've they've told us as a contract. We, you know, I, I, as far as I know, the the obligation is that we use the money for the intended purpose. Mm. You know, there's not if if they found that you know we basically ne never did any more with this and we just banked the cash. Yeah, they, there's no doubt they'd come after us. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, otherwise, expectations of timelines and stuff, not really. We have to give them a business plan of what we wanted to do, you know, whether they'll hold us to that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And that says that, you know, we'll, we'll do this within two years. You know, 18 months to two years, we should have people using these smart chairs. And that's, that's how we've worked out the money is going to last. That's how mm -hmm. we've worked out our budget for development. And you know, it took us two, 20 months to take it from nothing to working prototype. So we don't need to be experimental now. We don't need to learn what to do. We know what to do. Mm. We've already done most of the carbon fiber sort of stuff. So it's really just how do we work the add-on system? How do we make the power <clears throat> system front wheels plug-in and removable with and replaceable with uh, with regular caster wheels? How do we do that to the 
to the center of gravity system, it's probably a retrofit camber tube that's got it built in. Mm. And you take off your dumb camber tube and put on your smart one. That's that's probably how it's going to work. We've got to design that and test it. And there's all that sort of stuff to do. Um, but as far as the thing and what it does, we know it works. So mm. we should be able to do it at the time. So it's not as if you're actually out of the research part. There's still a fair bit of research to be done, you know, in mm. terms of those modular components that you're talking about. A lot of research to be done on the modular components, robustness. Mm. I mean, this uh, the electronics in this has got to be super tough. It's got to serve someone who lives in <coughs> Arizona as well as serve someone who lives in the north of Scotland mm. or Finland. You know, it's got to work. It's got to be able to take the continuous vibration of the road and mm. people lifting it upside down and throwing it in their car. I mean, some of the chairs that uh, when I was doing the, the, we would do maintenance on the carbon black chairs, some of the ones that would come back were totaled. I mean, people just drag them across the floor and mm. hurl them into the, out onto the road when they're getting out of the car. I mean, I lift my chair out and I'm quite careful, but some people just lob it out the door. Mm. Um, it's got to, to take all of that. And it should be able to. I mean, power wheelchairs are okay. Electric bikes, I mean, the electronics is there to do it. Mm. we just got to harness all that stuff, all those connections, find out what they all are. Um, it's got to be waterproof. It's got to be military-grade electronics. Mm. You've got to find the people to do that. You know, we've, we've got an electronic subcontractor just now, but I quite like to bring all the work, the software development and stuff in-house. So we've got to hire people. Mm. There's a lot to do. It's a mammoth. <laughs> and and there's, there's still a pandemic going on, you know, which is not, oh, not very yeah. right now. You know, we're going into full-level lockdown on Boxing Day here. Mm. So... You know, my my uh, engineer right now is on his ho Christmas holidays in Poland, and I don't know if he's going to get back anytime soon. Oh, so wow. there could be all sorts of delays. Mm. But the main thing is that, you know, well, we haven't got the money yet anyway. It's probably going to be a month before we even see any money. So we can't start spending a fortune until, mm. we, until, we, until we get it. But, you know, this the main thing for me, this is it. That, that's all. That's all stuff that's all stuff we just anyone has to deal with but this is our chance do we partner with another company mm, you know, I, was thinking uh, I was wondering about that possibly you know it's a million bucks what, what, will go pretty what, what, quick yeah. for what you're talking about yeah why not you know well we, we we've kind of figured it out it's enough money but it's it's not it's certainly not going to be any surplus but it's enough money to do what we want to do. And remember, we've, once we start bringing, bringing the smart, ready frames to market, they'll generate their own income, which will go back into the revenue pot. Um, How I'm does sure the medical product, you know, design um, paper trail work for this? How, how, how do you navigate that? What, as far as the standards and stuff? Yeah, so is the is the wheelchair going to be a medical device and as such? Sure. You, It'll be a yeah. class one medical device, so mm. uh, I'm not sure what that means for Australia. I think there are ISO 7176, uh, and for Europe, that, that that's fine. Um, 
So you've just got a process to follow and, and a design um, documentation process that you have to adhere to. We'll right? follow the same process as, as a regular manual chair, um, which is why one of the reasons the add-ons is quite a good thing because add-ons uh, aren't in the same class of medical device as a, as a wheelchair. Mm. Like a smart drive, is uh, it's an add-on. It doesn't need to go through all the regulatory testing that a wheelchair does. Mm. So we'll, we'll be in the same scenario with our add-ons. If we were to put forward a smart chair with all this stuff built in, what is it? Is it a power chair? Is it a manual chair? Where does mm. it fit? Mm. And that could have caused us delays. So that's another reason the add-ons thing is, is, is the way to take it. Mm. So it should be quite straightforward on that front. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, I've, I've heard that that can hold things up quite a bit if you don't get that right. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 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 but we've got, I mean, I think we'll continue to get the support from Toyota. I don't think they're just going to say, right, well, there's your check, see you. I think if we've got mm. stuff we need their help with. And there were a lot of organizations involved in this. I mean, there were judges from Autobock. There were specialist advisors from uh, the human... Well, what do they call from a university in Pennsylvania, the Human Research Lab, something like that. I forget the name. Don't don't use that because I should remember their name. I think we'll be able to access all those all those pots of of expertise when it comes to our testing and certification for different countries. I mean, they they've got some an organization like Toyota's just got experts everywhere. Mm. We said we we want to know how we get this past the FDA. They will know people to help us get it past the FDA. Mm. If they want to, you know, get it certified for New Zealand, they'll they'll know what we have to do to do that. Mm. Um, so it's important to keep our communications going with them, and that we remember that we're not just a very tiny outfit in the north of Scotland on our own. We are actually joined into this massive network. So so good. Well, what a what a great Christmas gift to have received and worked very very hard for. Um, congratulations! It's Thank you. You know, it's a twenty twenty's been a a, a tough year. Mm. You know, I said to, to to you once before, uh, selling travel bags to wheelchair users during a pandemic mm. made twenty twenty pretty tough, and this mm. kind of makes twenty twenty one. Even if the pandemic can, uh, continues. We're, we're, we're going to be fine. We can mm. continue with our focus on the on the new chair, and you know, there's not 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 a lot of companies can can say that right now. Which is, you know, it's a, it's a it's a nice position to be in. It's amazing, Mike. It's just it's just unreal. It's just unreal that they actually did this and we wanted. I saw I saw Sophie Yule's uh, share this what, three years ago, mm. and I looked, I saw it on LinkedIn. I thought, oh, that looks pretty good. I might, I might go for that. Might just go for that. And then she shared it again on Facebook and I saw it again. I thought, come on, you gotta go for this now. And I read it and it said one million dollar <laughs> prize. And I was like, wow, wow, who is gonna get that? Yeah. And yeah. Happy Christmas. Yeehaw. And I guess it just goes to show you've got to put your best foot forward. You gotta try, you gotta start, don't you? You know, you have to. You have to believe that you can change the world. And, you know, you, know, and, you, you, you realize you that what we all go through, <clears throat> these tough times that you 
go through using a chair for so long and the worst of it and the best of it, it all adds up to a lot of knowledge, mm. you know, an expertise that you can tap into. And it's just doing it. It's, it's if, if what you know is this, is this chair and your own struggle, then other people have got the same stuff. Other people have got the same struggle. Mm. You know, I'm not unusual in my struggle. Every other wheelchair user has the same thing. And, you know, if we, yeah, believe, believe what you've been through has been, has taught you something. Because mm. it, it certainly has. I mean, I'm sure if you think about what you've been through and the time you spent in the chair and how much you've learned, how much you've grown, mm. how much you've experienced, that you, your life had this not happened would have been different you'd have had different growth and experience but you've got expertise in something here and you're mm. you're doing it you're doing it with your podcasts mm. you're tapping into your know-how and other people's stories and a way you might never have done before you wouldn't have done this oh, I absolutely not no way i would yeah. never have done this um you know I, I i worked in tv for a long time but i knew i had to do this Someone once said to me when I was doing the carbon black, is this your calling? And I said, you know what? I don't, I don't think it is. This is, though. Mm. This feels like it is. It's weird. They're both wheelchairs. But this is different. And, and I you, took my head off on mine, right? <laughs> it, well, and, and the thing, too, is it, 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 the carbon black was one step towards this. And, and who, who knows what's after this? You know, it, it is just a... If you're curious and open and, and continually um, looking to improve and learn, then this won't be the end of the end of the road. It'll just again, it's just another another part of it. Um, but you it, know what? It, it is. You you take what you've learned from mm. the last journey onto the this one. So you I took what I learned from the carbon black into starting Phoenix doing the bags who to involve, who not to involve, mm. and to try and get to where we had to get to without going to, the, to investors and making the same mistake again. And that experience of bringing the bags to market and getting distributors gave us viability in the judge's eyes that we could do this with the chair. Mm. So we develop the chair, you learn more. And it's, it's a continual learning thing, and it's accepting that you don't know everything. It's accepting that you've got to evolve and like I say, what, what, what's next? You know, it's exciting though. It's just uh, super exciting. Uh, what advice would you have to somebody just in closing here that, that had an idea that they, that they felt strongly about? What would you, what would you say to them? How would they, how would they begin? It's, it's this, I've been asked this question before. How, how would you, what would you say to someone else that's got an idea and the, the, the truth is, if I'd known then how hard it would be, I'd never have done it. <laughs> because you're putting yourself on a road of punishment. Yeah. So it's unfair to say to someone, don't do it because it's going to be hellishly hard. Mm. But if you're prepared that it's going to be hellishly hard, you've got to do it mm. because... What's the worst that can happen? This is what I would always say to myself. What is the worst that can happen mm. with this? I've left my job. I'm going to do this thing. The worst that can happen is I can't pay the bills. 
I have to sell the house, give the keys back to the bank and start again. Mm. Well, that's tough, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Mm. Worst things could happen. You know, you could stay in a job you hate for the rest of your life um, or just never get a job because you never get a chance, never get a break. Mm. And once you, once you start, there's no going back. And do it. I mean, if you've got, if you've got ideas, you, you have to. That's how we grow as a, as a human race. You know, people haven't done this to the chair before. They haven't evolved it. They've just come in in the morning and made another one, so the same as they did 10 years ago. And soon they won't, have, soon they won't be able to do that. Soon mm. they'll have to evolve and it snowballs. So what would you say to someone that's got an idea, one who starts to start out? Know your market. That seems so businessy, but mm. it's important. Yeah. Can ask yourself something I do. Why is your great idea a really terrible idea? This is what I do. And I say to my team, okay, that's great. Now tell me everything that's wrong with your idea. And they go, oh, what do you mean? I said, no, tell me why it's terrible. What's wrong with it? Mm. And gradually you can pick it apart. But if you can put all those bits back together again and answer all the things that's wrong with it, with good answers, then you're onto something good. Mm. But if you know, you know in your gut if an idea has got a serious flaw that maybe you don't want other people to know about because, you know, you don't really want to embrace the reality that it's fundamentally flawed. Mm. But if you can do that and you can, you can take the other position and murder your idea and it's still alive by the end of it, you've got to do it. <laughs> it sounds like such, be very such careful wise advice. You, be very careful who you let into your business. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the golden rule. Investors should not be called angels. They talk about angel investors. There's not such a thing. <laughs> Shark Tank, Dragon's Den, yes. Angels, they are not angels. Oh, that's funny. It's an interesting... They are not your friends. That, that's the other thing. You hear this term, there are no friends in business. I don't think that's true. But you need to keep business relationships at arm's length and not get too chums with them. Because if you're working with contractors and they think you're just too nice a guy and that uh, you, know, you won't mind if they do this this week or next week, it won't be long before it's next month or maybe it'll be next year before they get around to it and they'll take advantage. At the same time, there's no point being a moron. Mm. Um, it's it's a fine balance, you know. Game face, game face is a real thing. You know, <laughs> I learned this when I had investors and I had to go to board meetings. Outside the board meeting, they'd be all pally, nice blokes. Then you go into the meeting, like they were different. Mm. They were different, and you had to behave differently with them. And I learned to do this. I learned the game face. I learned that if you look them in the eye, you look them straight in the eye and you don't break contact. And when you're speaking to them, you speak with conviction. It gives you the upper hand. There's a thing in this, this game face thing. Mm. I think it was absolute nonsense. It was just a bit, a bit, a bit of banter. It's not. It's a real thing. Mm. Wow. I don't have to do that right now because I don't have a board. 
and I, I don't intend to ever have one. So it's, uh, I can do what I want. I don't need to convince any investors. Uh, what a great position to be in. Uh, what a tremendous opportunity. Uh, what a responsibility. And like you say, the work begins now. We will follow along with interest and can't wait to see how this all unfolds. Um, well, we'll keep in touch. And you know, when we've got a, when we've got some uh, some testers using them, we'll give you an update. Sounds fantastic. Well done. Congratulations once again, Andrew. Thank um, you, Mike. All, all the best for Christmas. Lots of love to you yeah. and your family. And um, yeah, and and all the best for. Uh, for this next year of uh, um, progress and uh, progress, yeah, progress, so good. Um, All right, right on. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Been lovely to chat again. A pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com that's a-d-a-p-t-d-e-f-y.com we're also on all the major social media platforms at adaptify follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases hope you enjoyed this podcast look forward to catching you next time